my friends, this is episode 17 in our bi-weekly series of Saving Christianity. We're coming to you every other Tuesday from Christian Family Online, and I'm your host, John Shields, and welcome to today's podcast. In the two previous episodes, you may recall, episodes 15 and 16, we were talking about the growing Christian and the spirit-filling crisis, two extremely important uh, topics. We talked about how Christians grow spiritually by being spirit-filled, and we also talked about the reasons why many Christians today are not spirit-filled and are not growing spiritually. In those two episodes, we also said that the mark and sign of Christians when they are spirit-filled, is that they have what the early Christians called the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that means that when Christians are spirit-filled, they will have an outer behavior of supernatural love and joy and peace and patience that non-Christians can't have and that infant Christians don't have. In summary, we said when Christians are spirit-filled, they have a little bit of heaven here on earth. And my, don't we need some of that? So here we are now in episode 17. And the title of this episode is The Mature Christian. The Mature Christian. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how Christians can make spirit-filling a daily habit. Wow, think about that. In other words, how, how can we can become spiritually mature and live what we call the early Christian lifestyle. Well, I'm anxious to get into that, but before we start, let's introduce our co-host, Owen Allen. Welcome, Owen, to Episode 17. Well, thank you, John. Hello to you and to our intrepid producer, Shannon. And a big hello to all of our friends out in podcast land. I'm I'm really looking forward to this episode because the subject of spiritual maturity, I'm sad to say, John and Shannon, is very often misunderstood in today's Christianity. And by the way, we are in chapter 10 of the book now, Saving Christianity, and the title of that chapter is, in fact, The Mature Christian. Mm. But we'll be skimming a few ideas off the top here today, but I'm hopeful that all of our friends will actually go and read that full chapter thoughtfully. But, uh, John, before we start, let, let me mention two important ideas that we haven't talked about for several weeks. First of all, we need to remember that this is a serial podcast, technical people call it. Uh, our episodes are sequential. And so they build on one another. And if any of our friends have not done so yet, they would really benefit from going back and listening to the earlier episodes. That'll that'll help them better understand what we're saying at this point uh, in this podcast. But secondly, number two, uh, all of our episodes are on our website at goscpod.com, both the audios and the transcripts. And they'll remember we talked about this at one time. Uh, if our friends will read the episodes as well as listening to them, uh, they'll be using 90% 
of their learning ability to absorb these ideas and principles, and we urge all of our friends to do that. But right now, let's continue with episode 17. And to understand spiritual maturity, or dare I say the lack of it, we need to think about the fact that today's Christianity is based on what we could call a classroom model, a classroom model that traces back to the Roman Emperor Constantine in the 4th century. What that means is, in practical everyday terms, is in most congregations today, the members sit quietly with paper and pencil or iPad or iPhone or laptop, and they make notes while their Sunday school teacher or pastor teaches them from a podium or a pulpit. You can see that's a classroom model for learning spiritual maturity. And, of course, we've talked about it many times. The Gallup polls show that does not work, as we've explained in earlier episodes. So, in this episode, we want to emphasize three things Three things about spiritual maturity as a platform for this uh, whole episode. First, people learn by doing, not by listening. Second, why is that important? Many Christians were illiterate in the first century. Uh, Only about 10% of the population was uh, uh, polished and functionally literate. Most Most people could not read and write. And what does that mean? They couldn't listen and make notes because they couldn't read and write. So today's model wouldn't work. But number three, even if they had been able to read and write, there were no papers, pencils, iPads, iPhones, and laptops for them to use. So what are we saying? We're saying that the classroom model uh, does not work. Uh, and does not even apply to spiritual growth. So these facts, what do they tell us? They tell us that uh, since the early Christians did grow spiritually, but many Christians today don't grow spiritually, then our congregations today are using the wrong model, aren't they? They're doing something wrong. They're using that classroom model instead of what we call the early Christian model. So in today's episode, we are going to tell our friends how to use the early Christian model for spiritual growth. Yeah. Oh, and that's exactly right. And uh, so much can be said about this beyond even our time today in our podcast. And I see the classroom model being used every day in Christian radio, television, worship services. So in this episode, we need to tell our friends how, very important, the early Christian model is different Mm. and also why it's so much more efficient than today's classroom model. Mm. Uh, Those are great points, John. And also, I'm thinking while doing that, let's try to be as clear and as simple about all of this as we can, but let's start by remembering a platform definition from a previous episode, and here's that definition, spiritual growth. What is it? Spiritual growth is the process of increasing both the amount 
and the time that the Holy Spirit motivates us during the day. Now, let's repeat that quickly. Spiritual growth, here, this is a definition. Mm-hmm. Spiritual growth is the process of increasing both the amount and the time that the Holy Spirit motivates us during the day. Yeah, and we're talking about real time, real life, real mm-hmm. transformation. Yes. Real, it's great. That means we need a model. Mm-hmm that allows, if you will, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit motivate us as much as possible during the day. Mm -hmm. Because spirit filling, think about this, Mm -hmm. is when the Holy Spirit is motivating um, uh, 51% or more of our mind during the day. Yeah, let's tie this even further back, John, say it a little different way. Way back in episode 15, we said that spiritual growth is increasing our spiritual behavior during the day. See how that's the same thing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Increasing our spiritual behavior during the day, the way you just defined it, John. And way back there, we said that spiritual behavior uh, was when uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit produces in us an outer behavior of supernatural, and we're going to come back to that word, supernatural, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-controlled, supernatural. Yeah, so we're saying that the mark and sign of a Spirit-filled Christian is the extent to which and the period of time for which he or she has this supernatural love, joy, peace, and patience working, operating in their life. Absolutely, totally. I mean, think about that. This is this is a fantastic stuff here. So, but it's important to notice in what you just said, John, that spirit filling happens. I don't like this term, but it's the only one I can think of. Spirit filling happens on a sliding scale. Spirit filling is not a one-time experience, as some people teach. It's not an either-or experience. Either you have it or you don't, as some people teach. It's a degree-to-which experience. Every Christian can and should be Mm -hmm. spirit-filled, but every Christian is being motivated, influenced to some extent on that sliding scale by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. It's the degree to which you and I and Shannon and the rest of us have that supernatural love, peace, and joy during the day. Yeah, sure. And as we said, that's simple, but complicated at the same time. <laughs> so let's re- let's uh, repeat the process. How does spirit filling work for Christians? Okay, here we go. Let's spell it out. And we said this back in episode 15. We said that the Holy Spirit happens inside every Christian in two different ways. And here are those two ways. First, he operates in us to some amount. The Spirit can motivate our minds. It's any amount from zero 
to potentially 100% during the day, but we said that when his motivation within us passes the 51% mark, we can say that we're legally spirit-filled. But secondly, that could happen for a couple of seconds in a 24-hour day, and I dare say it does. But what good is that? So the second is time, when the Spirit is motivating our minds 51% of the time during the day, we could say that we're living the early Christian lifestyle that we talk about, and when that lifestyle becomes a habit, hang on, you can say that we are spiritually mature. And we read that over and over in the Mm -hmm. New Testament uh, in terms like, Walk in the Spirit. Yes, uh, keep in step with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So as Christians, we need to focus on two things. First, how much of our mind is being motivated by the Holy Spirit during the day? And second, how long during the day is that motivation lasting? Yeah, I mean, what could be more simple, John? Right. And yet we try to make it so complicated. Uh, and and this reminds us uh, of our Christian goal. We talked about this uh, several episodes back. But our Christian goal, the goal that we should have as Christians, is mm-hmm. to be habitually spirit-filled, to be habitually spiritual to habitually let the Holy Spirit be our main internal motivator. And if we could do those things, Mm -hmm. we would have spiritual maturity. And think about the difference that that would make. Mm. So let's repeat that. Our goal as Christians is to be motivated by the Holy Spirit more and more, Mm for longer and longer periods of time until being fully motivated by the Holy Spirit becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. And that habit is what we call spiritual maturity. Absolutely. And see, John, this is why this is why one of my favorite Bible verses is John seven thirty eight in the New Testament. We've quoted it many times uh, in not only in our book, but in these episodes, because that's the verse where Jesus promises us, who is us, all Christians, where Jesus promises us that we'll have rivers of living water flowing up from within us. That's the inner motivation of the Holy Spirit. That flood of living water is the motivation of the Holy Spirit within us, and Jesus promised it to every Christian. And, and, oh, and as you well know, one of our motivations in this podcast is, and the book and, and really everything we're doing, is it's just such a tragedy. Just talking about this again fresh today, it just, uh, it just it takes me back to thinking about what Christianity has been reduced to. Mm-hmm. We reduced the most amazing thing the most supernatural thing that's ever happened, and we turned it into believing some certain facts and calling that the Christian life. Yep. And, and, and so we see why we are in the dilemma that we're in. Yep. But uh, opposed to that, this is why the first Christians uh, in the first century were different. Yeah. They were different from the non-Christians. Mm-hmm. They had this motivation of supernatural love, joy, peace, and patience that non-Christians didn't have. 
and non-Christians wanted it. <laughs> and so they became Christians to get it. Absolutely. Specifically, totally. Mm-hmm. Well, and see, they, we've talked about that in earlier episodes. That's what early evangelism was. Non-Christians seeing this wonderful lifestyle and Christians and wanting it. Uh, and if even if the Christians never said a word. Mm-hmm. Well, we're still talking, though, about the model. I'm calling it the model that the early Christians used to teach spiritual maturity. Uh, we could, I guess in modern terms, call it the process. So let's get to some specific techniques that the early Christians used to teach new Christians. After all, uh, they did do some teaching, some role-playing uh, with uh, new Christians, uh, even though the biggest um, uh, technique they used was just letting new Christians watch them as mm-hmm. they lived each day. Right. But anyway, so let's talk about some techniques uh, for teaching new Christians how to make spirit-filling a habit. Yeah, we said in previous episodes that early Christians had a desire to mm-hmm. be spirit-filled, and, and they expected to be filled. Yep. And then they asked to be filled, mm-hmm. and then they constantly prayed the words, just simply, fill me Holy Spirit. Exactly. In whatever language they were speaking, mm-hmm. four words, fill me, Holy Spirit. You know, John, what we're saying here is that in the first century, they used what I call an experience model. Mm. Uh, they were modeling experience. They weren't using a classroom model where you just lecture to new Christians. They sit passively making notes. Uh, Instead, the early Christians actively wanted it, expected it, asked for it, and prayed for it. Yeah. Imagine today. It's quite a contrast. I can envision having a conversation with someone about this, and they go, oh, is this supposed to have an effect on my life? Is this supposed to actually influence my behavior? Yeah. I think we should all stop here and ask ourselves a question, a very important question. Mm. How many times today uh, have we prayed to be spirit-filled? Or how many times this week? Or have we ever prayed it? Yeah, John, that gives me chills. Yeah. You know, I bet you there are a bunch of Christians out there in podcast land that have never even asked right. God to fill them with the power of the Spirit. Well, I call those disturbing uh, questions are probably a stronger word, uh, but you know, we have what they call some soul searching to do, don't we? Because mm-hmm. being being spirit filled is the gate the G-A-T-E gate to spiritual maturity. We could even say it this way. Mm -hmm. Spiritual growth is spirit-filling. Spirit-filling is spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. The two terms are synonyms. Yeah, I also think that being being open, Uh uh, this is a really big deal, Mm -hmm. that being open to spirit-filling is a huge part of the early Christian model of spiritual growth, too. Mm. Uh, And I don't think, I think we can make the case, I don't think some Christians are actually open to it. Ouch, you know, that's true, John. I'm extremely sorry to have to agree on that point, but it's true and it's right. 
Because, see, there's actually more to this early Christian experience model for spiritual growth up to spiritual maturity than we realize at first Mm -hmm. because, think about it, let me slow down now, because for Christians to grow spiritually, they must be open to supernatural experiences. And by that we mean they must be open to, first, the spiritual fruit that we talk about so often, supernatural love, joy, peace, patience, and hope, and all of the other positive emotions Mm -hmm. that are flowing up from within us into our brain from the Holy Spirit. But number two, even as important, and we haven't emphasized this uh, especially yet in the episodes, but all Christians must be open to the spiritual gifts. Yes. And they're supernatural, too. Don't right. forget, God's supernatural. Mm-hmm. Everything about him is supernatural. Mm-hmm. So the spiritual gifts of supernatural dreams, visions, prophecies, healings, and miracles, and all the other positive abilities, these are abilities. Mm -hmm. from the Spirit. And, you know, this is true because if we aren't, if we are not open Mm -hmm. to supernatural experiences, and as you said, John, some Christians aren't, we'll be seriously hampered in our spiritual growth. I dare say I'm not sure you could grow without uh, Mm -hmm. being open to these experiences. But here's the deal. I think our friends out in podcast land are open to supernatural experiences. And so actually, I don't think we really have to talk about uh, much more a lack of openness. Yeah, and but there's one more thing about the early Christians, Owen, that ties directly to this need to be open to supernatural experiences. And, and that's the fact that they were called disciples. Uh. Oh, that is so important. How true, John. You know, think about this. This is funny. How many Christians today would call themselves disciples? Mm -hmm. I don't hear many doing it. (laughs) But in the first century, if you go back and read the New Testament, every Christian called himself or herself a disciple. Why is that? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, that uh, that original Greek word in the Bible simply means a learner or a student. But you know what? I like a more modern translation. I like to say that all Christians are trainees, trainees. That may be a corporate word, but um, I think it, it's the same uh, synonym with, uh, with uh, a student or a learner. They're trainees. They must be willing to continuously learn new behavior from the Holy Spirit. After all, I mean, isn't that what Jesus actually commanded? He said, go and make what? Mm-hmm. Trainees, right? Trainees. Apprentice, if you will. <laughs> I like yeah. that. So the experience model that the early Christians used was a complete model. Now, and, I, and, I, and I love to, th- to see it this way. They were open to learning new things. You know, we call that being teachable, I think. (laughs) They wanted to learn new things. They expected to learn new things. Mm -hmm. They asked to learn new things. They prayed to learn new things. And they were trainees 
of new things. Wow, what a model. Compare that to sitting and making notes yeah. today. Well, and as we said, John, the sad thing about all that is that many Christians do not repeat, do not right. follow this type of experience model today. And frankly, uh, that's why so many Christians are not spiritually mature today, according to Gallup. Oh, that's tragic, but true. In fact, it's horrible. Now, John, here's a here's a rule for spiritual growth that's both good news and bad news at the same time. Uh, it's one of the most important rules about spiritual growth and spiritual maturity in Christian history, and mm-hmm. here it is. Hold on. The more spirit-filled we are, the more we understand spiritual things. And the less spirit-filled we are, the less we understand Mm -hmm. spiritual things. How do we know that? Mm -hmm. We know it because the Apostle Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 2.14. He said non-Christians can't, cannot understand spiritual things. In fact, and boy, this hurts, Mm -hmm. they think spiritual things are foolish. And why is that? Mm Mm-hmm. Because spiritual things can only be spiritually understood. That's what Paul meant. Yeah, that is huge. Spiritual things can only be spiritually understood. Well, what does that all mean anyway? Well, here's what I think it means. Since non-Christians are not indwelled by the Spirit, they don't have the ability It's not in them Mm -hmm. to understand spiritual things. And here's a test. Here's a little test we can all take. If you've ever tried to explain something spiritual to a (laughs) non-Christian, you probably noticed that his or her immediate reaction was probably ridicule, uh, making fun of it, and even being hostile toward it. But watch this. Hold on, the very same rule that we're talking about also applies to Christians, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. also applies to Christians, because even though they're indwelled by the Spirit, Mm -hmm. if they only allow the Spirit to motivate a teeny-weeny small part of their mind, then they are not going to understand spiritual things any more than a non-Christian. Mm, wow, that uh, we just uh, need to just marinate on that a little bit, Owen. <laughs> I want I want to repeat it though. Mm. Non Christians can't understand spiritual things yeah. because they are not mm. indwelled by the Spirit, mm-hmm. and that that just makes sense, doesn't wow, it? Wow, yeah. And infant Christians. If you take that principle, Mm -hmm. they can't understand spiritual things because they're not letting the Holy Spirit, they are not allowing him to motivate enough of their minds. So they almost end up like a non-Christian. Correct, right, which, as we've said countless times, (laughs) the evidence uh, is indisputable Mm -hmm. of that. So that's an incredible incredible problem (laughs) and it explains so much it explains so much the trouble in today's christianity Uh and it also explains why there's such a desperate need for spiritual training today using this early christian experience model instead of 
a classroom model. That's right. I mean, these are mm-hmm. just, uh, like you said, it's almost overwhelming yeah. for us to sit here and talk about these things. And, you know, uh, and I just want to go back again, John. We can never, ever forget that people learn by doing, mm-hmm. not by listening. People learn by experiencing things. It's, let me insert here sideways. We've talked so many times about um, I've been a Christian since I was a child of 11. But I didn't know anything about Christianity, didn't understand the Bible, didn't understand Sunday school, didn't understand anything until I was spirit-filled for the first time in my 30s. So, I mean, I'm proof positive of everything that we're saying. Mm -hmm. So we don't learn by reading about things and listening about things. And I think that's one of maybe Christianity's only big shortcoming today is that so many Christians are not experiencing the supernatural fruit and the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we can say that with certainty. The very first step, though, in spiritual growth is to start experiencing mm-hmm. the fruit. I'm not sure that that people even use or think about their Christian life as an experience, yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or, that, or that they're even supposed to experience anything, the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit as fully as possible and as often as possible. That I mean, that's Christianity. Yeah. It's not making notes. It's living it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's precisely true, John. And so, so now let's talk about something we've only mentioned lightly in these episodes, and that's the that's the whole deal about how is it that you form a new habit? How do people form? How do Christians form the new habit of being spirit-filled? We already know that in order to be spirit-filled, Christians must be open to it. They must want it. They must expect it. They must ask for it, pray for it, and be a trainee of it. We know those things. Mm -hmm. But Here's the trick. How do you do all of those things automatically without thinking about them? Uh, Let's talk about how to make those things a habit because you don't want to have to get up each morning, get a clipboard off of a hook, and go through a checklist. Mm -hmm. You want this to be automatic. Yeah, that's important because, you know, our habits, we all know, determine our success or failure. Uh, as spirit-filled Christians, mm-hmm. we absolutely need to tell our friends how to form the habit of being spirit-filled. Right, and let's remember synonyms, John. We've mm. talked about that so often in these episodes. Don't let uh, early Christian synonyms confuse you because the word spiritual and spirit-filled and growing spiritually are all synonyms. They all mean the same thing. They all refer to us being motivated by the inner Holy Spirit. Totally true. And we've, we've talked from the beginning about the importance of recognizing synonyms mm-hmm. in early Christian writings, and it helps us understand spiritual maturity much quicker mm-hmm. uh, if we recognize that all of these words are, in fact, synonyms. Yes, indeedy. Well, so here's what our friend, this is all our friends need to know about forming a new habit. To form a new habit, 
we must always use the 2190 rule. The 2190 rule. And the 2190 rule, as uh, researchers and scientists use it, says this. If we practice any new behavior, and spirit filling is a behavior, Mm -hmm. if we practice any new behavior consistently for 21 days, for three weeks, we'll have what scientists call a weak new habit. And if we continue to practice that new behavior for another 90 days, will form what they call a new habit that's automatic, unchangeable, and permanent in our lifestyle. Mm, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. We're saying what we're saying, Owen, make sure I'm, I'm hearing right, is that our, our friends, well, that we should start practicing the new behavior of spirit filling. Mm-hmm. And when we use the 2190 rule uh, it, to make, Spirit filling a permanent mm-hmm. new habit mm-hmm. since spirit filling is the key to spiritual maturity. Absolutely. It couldn't be said better, All John. Right. And remember, anybody can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the first century, even children became Christians. Anybody can do that. But here's one last tip that, that uh, we want to give our friends talking about spirit filling so they can understand it better. Uh, spirit filling is like the ocean tides. You know, I'm a Floridian, and I love the ocean. Uh, spirit filling ebbs and floods in our minds like the ocean's tides. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not permanent at any one level. A spirit filling is cyclical in us. It forms peaks and valleys in our minds. Mm-hmm. And see that the Holy Spirit ebbs and flows in Christians as he motivates them during the day to meet their spiritual needs. Yeah. And so spiritual motivation forms what scientists call a sine wave, S-I-N-E, a sine wave. You've seen one if you've ever looked at a heart monitor in a hospital or in a TV show about somebody in the hospital. Mm -hmm. That's that jagged line you see going across. The Holy Spirit uh, exists like that in our minds. And so that's why uh, Christians feel more spiritual at some points during the day and, and less spiritual at other points Mm -hmm, during the day. mm -hmm. So no Christian feels absolutely overwhelmingly spiritual 24-7. Right. And Owen, (laughs) um, I just think that is vitally important Mm -hmm. for our listeners to understand. Mm -hmm. I know it has helped me tremendously in my walk to, to know that the ebb and flow of spiritual motivation mm-hmm. in a Christian's mind is is normal, mm-hmm. okay? It, it's normal, and it shouldn't worry us. Yeah, yeah. People say to me, well, yeah. I just don't feel spiritual all day. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Spirit didn't go anywhere. Right. Uh, he's going to be there as you need him. Well, so, John, let's slow down then and make another point. Uh, here's a question that I often get from Christians. What does being spirit-filled feel like? Mm-hmm. Or, to say that another way, what does having the fruit of the Spirit feel like? Wow. I can't think of another question we could ask that's more important than that one. Nor can I. Nor can I. And now that we're talking about feelings, 
we've arrived at a huge problem mm-hmm. in today's Christianity. And John, I hope we can can speak honestly yeah. and openly here what I call being deathbed honest. And navigate through these waters. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is this. Some denominations today teach that being spirit-filled requires Christians to express what we could call excessive human emotions, human emotions. In other words, to prove that they're spirit-filled, Christians must express excessive worldly uh, emotions, Mm -hmm. enthusiasm, excitement. This problem is discussed on pages 155 and 156 of our book, but in practical terms, what these denominations are teaching their members are that to be spirit-filled, you've got to be loud and boisterous and inappropriate in your behavior during congregational meetings and congregational worship. And as a result, these meetings include such things as loud, or should I say in parentheses, deafening music. Mm-hmm. Loud music, shouting, wailing, swaying, fainting, dancing in the aisles. I've seen all of these things visiting various congregations. Yeah, that's right. It's it's so interesting because that's actually the exact opposite of the behavior that the early Christians had when they when they gathered. That's right. And and here's the bad news. Here comes the bad headline. Mm -hmm. When non Christians see Christians acting with this kind of excessive behavior, it repels them. Mm -hmm. Quite honestly, it scares them. And they go home and say and look in the mirror and say, whoa, if that's spirit filling, Mm -hmm. I don't want any part of it. But look, they're turned off to spiritual growth, often for the rest of their lives. Right. And frankly, John, yep. in my experience and my travels uh, worldwide in Christian circles, uh, this is one reason why so many Christians are not spirit-filled. Right. They've seen things earlier in their life that scared them away from it. Wow. I, I don't even know. I think I'll just put my head on the desk. <laughs> and what's so tragic is that such people are not are seeing spirit filling, yeah. mm-hmm. and they are not seeing spiritual maturity. What they are seeing is the exact opposite of spirit filling and spiritual maturity. Totally the opposite. But Look at in in coming episodes, of course, we're going to show our friends exactly, precisely how to meet and how to worship like the early Christians did. It's so easy and so wonderful. But right now, we're trying to be clear about how spiritual behavior and natural behavior are different from one another. We remember that natural uh, in the early Christian terminology meant uh, activity that was like unsaved activity, non-Christian activity was natural. How are those two different, spiritual and natural? Mm -hmm. We've already said that spirit-filling is a little bit of heaven on earth. But think about this. Christians in heaven aren't wailing and fainting, and wailing and fainting aren't taught in early Christian history. For example, 
when the first 120 Christians ever to be spirit-filled in history mm-hmm. were filled on Pentecost morning, they they didn't wail and faint. No, they didn't. And actually, when Peter was arrested, and, and you remember, he was dragged before the high priest to be sentenced. That's right. The record says that Peter was spirit-filled. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't say that he wailed and fainted. <laughs> it says that the high priest was so astonished at Peter's peace, his confidence, and his courage during the trial that he released Peter. See, look at that comparison mm-hmm. there. And that's exactly the point. Spirit filling gives us feelings of peace and confidence and courage like the Apostle Peter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give us feelings of hysteria. Any of the world's 4,000 religions can give us hysteria, and Mm -hmm. frankly, many do. But only filling by the Holy Spirit can give us the supernatural peace, confidence, and courage that come directly from the throne room of God in heaven. Well, we're on the right track. Mm-hmm. But, but let's be even more specific about what spirit-filled behavior is like. That's the only way we're going to be able to, to, to demonstrate, to show our friends exactly how spirit-filling is different from excessive human emotions. Yeah. And here's a quick example of what you just said, Mm -hmm. John, in early Christian history. One night, Jesus himself gave a clear definition of this difference we're talking about between spirit-filled emotions and uh, excessive human emotions. It happened when a powerful uh, leader uh, in the city of Jerusalem called Nicodemus came to Jesus late at night for a secret meeting. And what he wanted to know uh, was more about the miracles that Jesus was performing in the city. And during that fascinating conversation, Jesus taught Nicodemus an extremely important spiritual rule. And here's what he taught him. Emotions produced by the selfish human nature are worldly and prone to sin. Flesh produces flesh, he said. But emotions produced by the Holy Spirit are spiritual and holy. Spirit produces spirit, Jesus said. And never the twain shall meet. (laughs) No, never the twain shall meet. And those two sets of emotions are as far apart as the East is from the West. But you know, John, many people have never stopped to think about the fact that human nature cannot produce spiritual emotions. Mm -hmm. It's a physical impossibility. And the opposite is also true. The Holy Spirit cannot produce worldly emotions. That's also a physical impossibility. And that means that if we Christians are ever going to have peace and confidence and courage in our lives like Peter did at his trial before the high priest. (laughs) We cannot get it from our human nature. Mm -hmm. We can only get it from the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
And, you know, John, I think that's one of the biggest yes. lessons that we don't hear today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on that, for example. Uh, I think people think as they watch TV and read uh, popular books that uh, somehow our human nature, our humanity Mm -hmm. can produce spiritual things. I beg to differ. Mm -hmm. It ain't so. Uh, And so that's one of our biggest lessons. Listen, our only chance at peace and healing and hope is to get it from the indwelling Holy Spirit. Right. And so let's talk about the popular name for that. What What is it that the Holy Spirit produces in us? We, we have a whole chapter on that in the book. Mm-hmm. I think it's chapter 11. But for now, let's remember that the early Christians call spiritual emotions the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we keep using that term. Mm -hmm. I know it confuses people. You think of fruit as a bowl of apples. But the fruit of the Spirit, in the original Greek words of the Bible, that means Mm -hmm. the fruit of the Spirit means the emotions produced in us by the Holy Spirit. Or you could say Mm -hmm. the emotions in us that are the result, that come from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's true for sure. The early Christians, you may, we've talked about it. They said that many times, mm-hmm. and we quoted Paul's definition of the fruit earlier. But let, but let's quote it again. Yeah, let's do. It's worth reporting here again. This is how Paul defines mm-hmm. the fruit of the spirits in his letter to the Galatian Christians: the emotions that the indwelling Holy Spirit produces in us are supernatural love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm sure our friends remember that definition, and I'm sure they realize it's one of the most important definitions in Christianity. Mm -hmm. It is, John. And our friends need to notice uh, something. Have we noticed what is not, Mm -hmm. what is not on Paul's list of emotions from the Holy Spirit? We all should notice that. Mm -hmm. Here they are. I didn't read stress, fear, confusion, Mm -hmm. shame, mistakes, misunderstandings, anything negative, none of that is produced by the Holy Spirit. Those are produced in us by our own selfish human Human nature. nature. And that includes excessive human emotions in Christian meetings. And that's why Jesus taught Nicodemus that everything from our flesh is fleshy. And everything from the Holy Spirit is spiritual. Bingo. Those two motivators are incredibly different in the behaviors they create in us. Yeah, and so, John, to help us understand finally uh, one more time the difference between these two ma- motivators, let me say something that I often love to say. It's actually on page 133 of the book, but let's uh, tell it to our friends, and here it is. The Holy Spirit is the greatest gentleman in the universe. Mm. He never interrupts when we're talking about something else or when we're doing something else. Mm -hmm. He works by invitation only. Mm. He works by invitation only. Yeah, that, oh, and again, that's another (laughs) one of those uh, pivotal uh, comments, understanding, because 
the Holy Spirit is the greatest gentleman in the universe. Think about that. Mm -hmm. He never makes us do anything that's embarrassing, humiliating, or frightening. Mm -hmm. And, and, And our listeners need to hear that. Yes. That's why we should never, never fear being motivated by the Holy Spirit within us. Mm-hmm. We should never fear the spiritual fruit or gifts. That's absolutely true, John. And take a tip from me. Mm. If you see anything scary and frightening at right. a, a, or embarrassing mm-hmm. or humiliating at a Christian meeting, here's a tip. Yep. It ain't from the Spirit. Right. So, John, look. As we approach the end of the episode now, I think we should be as precise as possible about what spiritual maturity looks and feels like, because being spiritually mature, it does make you different. Mm -hmm. You feel different. You think different. You act different. different. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. As we said earlier, that's the reason Christianity spread in the first century. Think about it. A spiritual movement started in Mm. one morning by 120 people in a little-known backwater city in a little-known backwater country spread worldwide in 70 years. Mm -hmm. There was a reason for that. Yeah. And they didn't have TV and radio. Right. <laughs> and let, let's see how clearly we can make a contrast uh, between the two behaviors. Mm-hmm. So, so let's, oh, and let's, let's describe what a spiritually mature Christian acts like. That's a good one. And let's, let's agree uh, that a spiritually mature Christian can look like anybody else as far as their clothes mm-hmm. and their facial expression or whatever, their haircut, but they're different from other people only in their inner feelings and their outer behavior. Mm-hmm. They have a peace, calmness, confidence, hope, and happiness that other people don't have. Even infant Christians don't have. Why? Because it's coming from the indwelling Holy Spirit, and that's not happening in any other brand and form of people. Oh, and what about the flip side of that? (laughs) Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, what is it that spiritually mature Christians don't have? don't have. They don't have all the negative uh, emotions and behavior that non-Christians have, and frankly, some uh, infant Christians have. They don't have hostility, Mm -hmm. quarreling, jealousy, anger, lust, selfishness, divisiveness, Mm -hmm. gossip, drug abuse, all the other negative things we could sit here and name. Yeah. Oh, and I I have to say personally, I I think that's as clear a description of of spiritual maturity as we're going to get. Mm-hmm. And, and it also tells us why spiritual maturity is so needed by mm-hmm. others. Who would not want to be spiritually mature considering its wonderful benefits? That's right, John. Who would and right. who would not? And our friends need to remember now that Chapter 10 in the book uh, is uh, entitled uh, The a mature Christian, and it explains and describes and gives examples of all of this. And then also it has a has a diagram in it, 
And we're including this diagram right now at about a point 51, 51 minutes into the script. But remember, it's also on page 141 of the book. And, John, I'm looking at that diagram now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all seeing it here in the, in the script. And uh, most of this diagram is colored white, the whole left side of the chart. Mm-hmm. The side that represents the indwelling spirit is white. But look at this. This white color extends over most of the top circle, mm-hmm. the one that represents the human mind. That indicates that the Holy Spirit is the dominant motivator in this Christian's mind in the picture mm-hmm. here. The selfish human nature has been pushed out of all but maybe 10% of the Christian's mind. And look, if we assume that this picture, Mm -hmm. this Christian has made this picture a habit, a habit, then this Christian is spiritually mature and is living the early Christian lifestyle of peace, healing, and hope that we're talking about in these episodes. This is the same lifestyle that, Paul, you mentioned earlier, John, called walking in the Spirit. And it's the same lifestyle that we call living a little bit of heaven here on earth. Yeah, that, that chart, Owen, represents what all of us so desperately need. We need to wake up in the morning and live through the day, go to bed at night with this kind of peace, healing, and hope flooding up in us uh, straight from the throne room of God in heaven. Hallelujah. Praise this to the Lamb. Well, but John, here we are now at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. Let's quickly summarize everything that we've said because I think uh, this is very important for our, our friends out in podcast land to understand the mature Christian. Yeah, it's, it's vital. I was thinking the same thing. You know, we said at the top of the show today that spiritual maturity is simple and yet complicated at the same time. (laughs) That's right. So let's summarize seven points for our friends to remember as we sign off here. First, spiritual growth is learning how to be spirit-filled. Yes. Second, being spirit-filled is letting the Holy Spirit fill 51% or more of our minds with the fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Third, the fruit of the Spirit is supernatural love, peace, joy, patience, and other positive emotions that are flooding up within us from the indwelling Holy Spirit's motivation inside us. Mm -hmm. Fourth, These positive emotions produce, that's what emotions do, produce outer behavior of supernatural love, joy, peace, and patience, Mm -hmm. and other positive behaviors that are unique to spirit-filled Christians. Fifth, we learn how to be spirit-filled by wanting it, seeking it, and praying the daily prayer all day, in fact, fill me, Holy Spirit. Spiritual maturity, number six, then, is when that becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. And finally, number seven, the early Christian lifestyle that we keep talking about is being spiritually mature, and that means being habitually spirit-filled. Wow. I love it. Mm. Well, so I hate to close this one, John, but let's do close 
uh, by reminding our friends in podcast land to pray these four words every day, all day. Yes. Here they are again. Fill, Fill me, Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Fill yes. me, Holy Spirit. Yes. Glory to God. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. And our friends out in podcast land should also remember, we want to remind you that this is episode 17 and that a script and recording is a lot in this episode. Okay. It's there on our website at goscpod.com. That's G-O-S-C-P-O-D dot com. That's right, indeed they are, John. Well, and now, this is Owen Allen. And this is John Shields with our producer, Shannon Wolf, saying, may the God of our fathers bless you and keep you and guide you and protect you until we meet again.